Hello and welcome to the latest Aeon Pensions podcast, focused on providing risk settlement insights to help you on your journey to settlement. I'm your host, Karen Gainsford, an associate partner in Aeon's Resettlement Group, and I'm joined today by Andrew Cooper and David Bunkle. So Andrew is a senior consultant in Aeon's Resettlement Group and has been at the centre of developing our capabilities in advising schemes on their whole journey to buyout, including the integration of member options exercises. And David is a partner at Aeon who specialises in member options and is particularly focused on the topic we're discussing today, which is the journey to settlement from a member's perspective. So welcome both. Hi, Karen. Hi, Karen. Good to be here. So I think it's fair to say that many of our listeners will be familiar with the concept of a journey plan from a funding or an investment perspective. But the concept of a member journey may be quite new. So, Andrew, do you, want to, do you want to kick us off by explaining the concept of a member journey to us? Absolutely. It's really about considering how a member's current experience will compare with their experience following any buyout or transfer to a consolidator in the future when their pensions are going to be paid by a third party. Members might experience significant change over the next few years as their scheme reaches its end game, whether that be through uh, amendments to benefits because of GMP equalization, changes in member support that is available, and eventually that falls all the way through to the administration team who will be paying their pensions and dealing with any queries they might have. Yeah, so I would agree with that completely. Obviously, over the, that period of time as the scheme is progressing towards buyout, lots of things will change, um, and a lot of those are things that we can predict um, to some degree, so it's about planning for that now. Um, planning with the the end in mind um, and also helping members to understand how things will change as well. And so I guess through a, a member's lifetime in a scheme, if you like, they've got various options that they can take, you know, whether that's retirement transferring. So, uh, David, what member options can actually be made available through pension schemes nowadays? The short answer is lots. Um, I guess going into that in a bit more detail. So you've got all of the if you like, standard options that are available in the vast majority, if not all, defined benefit pension schemes. So there would be options around when you retire. Members can usually retire earlier or later than their normal retirement age. You've got options around commutation of pension for lump sum when they do retire, which is which is typically continues to be very, very popular. Uh, and of course, you've got the option to take a cash equivalent transfer value to another pension arrangement. Um, there are some schemes who've got, if you like, special options, like for example, a bridging pension option. Bridging pension is where um, the scheme would pay a temporary higher pension, a boost to the pension before the member state pension age. And in return for that, then the, the pension would drop off after state pension age and the idea being to smooth the overall income they get. So that's available in lots of schemes already, not always promoted. Um, but it's also something we're seeing other schemes increasingly look to introduce because it's very, very popular and gives a great flexible option to members. Um, and then finally, you're, you're looking at options like pension increase exchange, sometimes referred to as PI. So again, the increases on the pension when it's in payment are given up in return for a higher starting amount of pension that can be offered to members at the point they retire. And it's also one of the very few things that you can offer to your current pensioner population, people who've already retired. I think over the past sort of few years, you know, there's been a number of these bulk exercises like you talked about of, you know, off offering pension increase exchange to pensioners. 
Are things like enhanced transfer values and pension increase exchange still quite popular with schemes? Well, yeah, we certainly see plenty of activity in that space. As I say, for for your pensioner population, pie pension increase exchange is pretty much the only thing that you can do in terms of offering them additional flexibility. So some some really good reasons to think about that, and uh, and we're still seeing lots of schemes go down that route as far as transfer values are concerned. Well, if you start from the premise that a transfer value will be right for some people. Um, and then that in order to help them make that decision in the right way, to make the best decision that they need to take independent financial advice, then a bulk transfer value exercise is a really effective way of delivering that in a cost efficient way. Whether or not it's an enhanced transfer value exercise is a different question. In some cases, that will be the right thing to do. In some cases, not. But I guess for lots of schemes, it's really about delivering that access to flexibility and choice and access to financial advice um, in the best way. And of course, for a scheme that's on a journey towards buyout, then there's a defined window in which you can you can do these things and planning to deliver them at the right time is really important. So, Andrew, how do the options available in pension schemes that Davies talked about compare to what's available through an insurer following a buyout? So I guess the, the, the main point here is that some of those sort of additional options and certainly bulk exercises aren't a feature post-settlement. So if a scheme wants to offer their members those choices of those additional options, they need to provide those before they transact, whether that be with an insurer or with a consolidator. Um, once benefits are being paid by the third party, options are much reduced and restricted only to those routinely offered by schemes that David mentioned earlier. So we're talking about early and late retirement, statutory transfer values and commutation. They all do remain available. The one thing to note, particularly with commutation, the commutation terms that will be offered to members as they retire will form part of the contract negotiations uh, as part of any transaction. If schemes don't engage in this part of the process, then members could experience a step change in the benefits that they're offered, with a member retiring just before the settlement is executed, receiving very different commutation terms to a member who retires just after the settlement. Now, this is something we've been helping trustees understand um, and mitigate as part, part of the journey planning. So uh, it's something that can be addressed and um, certainly one of those elements where you can smooth a member's experience throughout their journey. I would add to that, it feels like a, a really technical detail, but it's really, really important because things like actuarial factors have got a big impact on the benefits that the members ultimately receive. And as we said before, it's something which to some extent at least is predictable. So stepping back and thinking about what that likely path for factors might look like in the future, how they're likely to change, and I guess more importantly, what you want it to look like so you don't result in those intergenerational differences or whatever it might be somebody retiring you know day before and a day after a bulk annuity transaction being treated radically differently again that's exactly what we mean by the member journey towards uh, resettlement yeah makes sense so david you've, you've talked about a huge amount of options that are actually available to members through their journey what support do members actually get in their decision making sort of you know typically in an ongoing scheme well it depends so when you say typically, there is a wide range of practice out of that out there. So historically, and still the case for many schemes, very little. The statutory minimum is we tell you about these options, perhaps in a throwaway comment in a detailed, you know, multi-page retirement pack. 
And actually, that's something which experience shows is very, very difficult for members to get their heads around. It's very inaccessible that the general lack of financial understanding and understanding of pensions makes it difficult them to engage with. What we might describe as the more enlightened pension schemes, for want of a better word, have done significant amounts of work over recent years to put in place support structures. So whether that's educational materials alongside their regular communications, whether it's just making those things like retirement state statements more user-friendly, online modelers and the like, but in particular, and perhaps most importantly, uh, we're seeing more and more schemes provide access to high quality, independent financial advice. That's something which is absolutely critical in terms of helping members make the best decisions. But we just know that's a really, really difficult thing for the ordinary person to do without that you know, specialist professional advice. And left to their own devices, it's quite difficult to source because there are thousands of IFAs out there. There has been mixed quality in the past, albeit the FCA has done a lot of work to try and really tighten that up and improve standards across the industry. And perhaps as much as anything else, the costs for an individual can be staggeringly high. So if a scheme can procure an advisor um, and as part of that process, vet them, do their due diligence to make sure they're delivering a good service, they can make that advice available at significant reduced cost, whether it's still paid for by the individual or in a lot of cases, we're seeing pension schemes and sponsors offering to pay for the advice for their members as well because they can see how important it is. So Andrew, how does that compare to what's available through an insurer? Yeah, so again, the the level of support that you might get through an insurer or from a consolidator is much less than that you have the sort of flexibility of putting in place as an individual scheme. They would generally take a, a statutory approach that David already described in terms of members only receiving standard retirement quotations. And we've discussed the issues in terms of, you know, the possibility of lack of understanding and the digestibility of those quotations. And again, members would have to seek their own advice if they want to discuss their retirement choices. So effectively, members are, are on their own in that situation, which if you are looking at it from a, a trustee perspective and trying to make sure that members make their best choice, you know, is it the best situation for members to be in? Therefore, when we're talking to schemes about uh, their members' journey, we discuss actively promoting the support that a scheme currently offers or you know, increasing that support in the run-up to buyout in order to give members the best chance of utilizing it because it is sort of a, a use-it-or-lose-it situation. Uh, and that's certainly something that, that trustees should consider uh, in their run-up to their sort of settlement journey. Uh, and absolutely ma- making sure members are aware of that, that dynamic. I mean, it is the single most important stage in a member's journey with a defined benefit pension scheme, that point when they retire and they start to exercise these options. It's pretty much the only time they need to make a decision. The decisions are really complex and it's important that they've got all the support that you can you know, reasonably provide them to make, make the right decision for them. Yes, you've, you've talked there about the importance of a decision and support. What role do you say that member communications have got in that sort of successful member choices you got at that point so i'll answer that one first very important naturally so there are lots of options as we talked about before it's important that they're all laid out for the member in a way which is clear to understand which is in language which they can engage with and which makes the 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 key pros and cons of those different options clear as well Um, so again we've certainly seen poor practice in the past of in the past of you know huge long 
um, dense retirement statements and packed with lots and lots of text. Very, very difficult for the members to assimilate. Um, so the more work that can be done to really improve um, those communications and make them user-friendly, the better. Um, and also helping them under, understand the, the different circumstances in which they, you know, they, they might like to consider different options. I think that's also, also an important thing. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I guess the only thing to maybe add from a, uh, an insurer's perspective will be just how those communications are designed. It's useful to have, as we've sort of said, think about all these things with your end game in mind. And insurers will be interested in those communications when you do end up going to market, making sure that they're you know not introducing any possibility of selection risk. Now, that's, that doesn't go against making everything clear. They can go absolutely hand in hand because you want members to make the, the, the best choices. Um, but it was just really to mention that that should be considered alongside any drafting and communications that you are doing. And I think the other thing I would add, Karen, is it's about it's tempting when you think about communications to, to think about your traditional paper-based you know, letters and statements and so on and so forth. And actually, it's much broader than that. It's all the different media that you might use to communicate to members, it's recognising the fact that different people will engage with different types of media in different ways at different times. So making sure that you've got a diversity in your approach to communicating with members through this journey. So giving them an opportunity to engage in different ways, giving them an opportunity to learn in different ways, because obviously everybody's got different needs in that regard. I think that's, that's really important as well. Brilliant. Thanks both. I personally think the concept of a member journey plan is really important. So making sure that those strategic actions are considered alongside the impact on actual members. Um, so as ever, communication is likely to play a crucial role, taking those members on the journey to settlement so they understand the options available to them and can then take you know really well-informed decisions when, when necessary. So thank you both for joining us and sharing your perspectives. Thanks, Karen. Yeah, thanks for having us. So you've been listening to the latest edition of the Aon Pensions podcast on providing risk settlement insights to help you on your journey to settlement with me, Karen Gainsford, and my guests, Andrew Cooper and David Bunkle. If you need any further information on Aon Retirement Solutions or risk settlement in particular, you can contact us by visiting our website or email us at talktous at aon.com.